Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favorite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hi, welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast. Today I'm talking with Joe Brew. The co-founder and CEO of Hive. How are you doing, Joe? I'm good. How are you? Great, thanks. Then before we start, tell us a bit about your background so we kind of know who you are. Well, at the moment, you've got computers that can actually go through now and, and, and uh, examine scans and check in that scan if there's any tumours or there's cancer. And it does that ahead of the doctor. So it doesn't tell the doctor we think there's a chance of, of, of cancer here or something else here. Check it out. And same with these. If these can detect cause that we think there's a chance of this, it means the doctors can actually deal with the real patients and know something that is minor and will go away. Yeah, absolutely right. There, so there's an analogous uh, technology right now with chest x-ray and digital chest x-ray. And, and, and you know, there's also iris scans and retina scans. And, you know, algorithms have been shown to be better than doctors, better than trained experts at certain kinds of detection. Yeah. Right. Um, and and I... I I, I think it's reasonable to assume that doctors five, ten years ago, or excuse me, five, ten years from now are going to continue to get better and better. But the rate of improvement of, of tech, of, of artificial intelligence, is just orders of magnitude greater. Yeah. And so, so right now we're at the dawn of, you know, the, we're at the very beginning of, of AI in medicine. But, but our, 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 you know, our data set of 20 million sounds is going to be, 200 million sounds a year from now and maybe it's going to be 2 billion sounds a couple of years from now and and what that means in terms of predictive accuracy and subtlety and outcomes I, I think it's really it, it can be really impactful right yeah. and I, I want to emphasize also that that testing right now laboratory testing is an extremely uh, scarce and expensive technology right I mean we're in the middle of a pandemic for a known pathogen, yeah. COVID-19. How many times have you been tested? Once. Yeah, once. Me too. I've been tested once, right? And so a few people have been tested a couple times. Some have been tested zero times. Obviously, we are under-tested. Yeah. Right? And, and and that's not because people don't want to test. I'm willing to test as much as... Yeah, well, as in, in my case, I was in the hospital for about for a week. When I was in there, I had to go between wards. So because of that, that, that to test me. Other than that, I've been in kind of lockdown for health issues for the past year. Haven't been out much. So I've been Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but, you know, you are either infected or not infected. Yeah. And we are all living in this, this cloud of ignorance because the only um, means we have for figuring out our infection status is something that's expensive, physical, in-person, hard to reach, hard to access. And so, so you know, will a, a cough-based diagnostic algorithm or screening algorithm be as good as a molecular test or an antigen test, a PCR in, in the next month? Maybe not, but it doesn't have to be as good in order to be useful, right? No, I agree. If it can detect there's a, there's a greater chance of this being COVID, that's fine. It means you can spend more time with that one patient. And if it's not, well, at least you've learned something. And also the machine learning capabilities will have improved. So it'll be told, oh, that person didn't have COVID. So it knows next time, if that, if that same cough appears again, it's not probably not going to be COVID, don't worry about that. You end up just honing in the ones that you know have COVID. It can get... Yeah, 
absolutely. And, and so the, the machine learning models, like you just said, they learn over time. Yeah. They get better. And every time they're wrong, they get better as long as you tell it, hey, you were wrong on that one, right? Yeah, same um, as humans. See, when, we, when we do a diagnosis, we, we're wrong down again. And we realize, oh, yes, we made a mistake because this looks like that, but it's not that. So next time we're doing, doing the same checks, we know right away, oh, I've this before, so I don't think it's that. Yeah, no, that's a great, a great example. And in fact, you know, machine learning is so complex when you get into the technical details. But it, if, if you take a step back, it's not that unlike human learning, yeah. right? So I, I have two small children, and they right now are making very basic rules in their mind for understanding reality, right? Yeah. So one, one rule is that they've, they've made on their own is women have long hair and men have short hair. Yeah. And it's a pretty accurate rule. You yeah. walk around town and you see long hair woman, short hair men. And then something happens, and you see a guy with a ponytail. Yeah. And, and you know, my, my five-year-old daughter says, wait a second. <laughs> that, that guy's a man, and I know he's a man because of these other rules I have, like the tone or pitch of his voice yeah. or the size of his bicep or the kind of shoes he's wearing, you know. And But it, it, it's breaking my system. Yeah. Something's wrong. And so she learns a new thing, which is, okay, women usually have long hair, and men usually have short hair, but some men have long hair, and some women have short yeah. hair. This is just how, how machine learning is, right? So it starts to learn, okay, a TV cough usually has this, and it doesn't have this, and then it gets an edge case, and it learns, like, but it can be this. If it's this combined with this, yeah. right? So if it's a po ponytail combined with really big biceps, then it's probably a man, right? Yeah. Whereas it's a, this pitch combined with this kind of explosiveness combined with this degree of mucosity in the sound, then it's probably this, and... And so it, it, the models become more and more subtle and more and more refined over time. And, and like a, a human model for classification, it's never going to be perfect. Yeah, and for, right? yeah, and for you... But, but it, it can approach perfection. Yeah, and for you, luckily, right now, we've got the technology of the cloud and all around us, and we can use smartphones to actually detect it. So everyone's got a smartphone in, uh, on them. So they can download an app or they can buy a smartphone and use that to detect all these coughs. Yeah, so that's that's where I think the real revolution is coming in. So one thing is is AI as a field is just advancing extremely rapidly, yeah. right? It, it's it's becoming a commonplace technology, and it's used in all sorts of facets of life now. The other, what you just alluded to, is the fact that almost every single human is carrying around a medical testing device, yeah. right, uh, with a microphone. They're carrying around a microphone, and it's not like other medical devices, you know, like a, bl a blood pressure monitor, a glucose yeah. pick, where you have to say, please, please, please do this obtrusive, annoying thing. We carry the phone around 24-7 because we want to, yeah. right? I mean, people take the phone to the bathroom. They put it by their bed when they go to sleep. They take it out with them when they go to the bar with their friends. So, so you've got this microphone that is sitting next to humans all the time. Humans are producing sound, and we already said acoustic information is some of the most dense data you can get, right? It has so much information. Yeah. And, and the question is, do we want to use that? Do we want to ignore it? Or do we want to use it to sell ads? Or do we want to use it to prevent pandemics and, and to help identify and, and treat the ill, right? And so yeah. I think there's an opportunity for social good here that we, we should kind of seize. And that's what Haifa is trying to do is to say, hey, we can do something really cool if, if we capture some of this sound. Yeah, well, to me, it kind of like a baby, baby monitor. Years ago, when you got that, they, they were just audio only. Now they're video. And then in the future, it'll be one video camera and a, an audio device in the, in the cot. And the, you'll get an app which you download on your phone to replicate to see what's going on. And it's like this. 
The, the phone is now doing all that and it can do a lot more. So in the future, it'll be standard kit that you'll have the device and you get used to it because it's ubiquitous. Yeah, it's a great point. And I think, you know, there are certain metrics and measures that 20 years ago nobody ever heard of and now they're commonplace. One is step counting. Yeah. People have Fitbits and, and often health apps now tell you, hey, you've, congratulations, you, you took 10,000 steps today. If, if I had told you in the year 1990 that, hey, Ronan, today I've, I've taken 9,000 steps already, you'd be like, who is this crazy guy who's counting his steps, right? Yeah. It, it's insane. But, but now that there's tech that does it for you, it's kind of incorporated. And people you know, who are on health plans and stuff like this are counting their steps. I think the same thing is going to happen soon with golf counting. Yeah, so you go to your doctor and they say, hey, how are you feeling? And you say, ah, not so well. And, and your doctor might just say, how much have you been coughing lately? Can I see your cough counts? Yeah. And, and, and that, that's not commonplace now because the tech hasn't been there, but the tech exists now. Yeah. And, and I, once you start counting those coughs, unlike a step, a cough carries, each cough carries a lot of information. Yeah, it's so it's going to be one thing to say, hey, you coughed 290 times this week. It's another thing to say, wow, the acoustic nature of those coughs is very consistent with uh, influenza strain B or something like this, yeah. so therefore we're gonna I'm gonna treat you on this while we're waiting for this laboratory test to confirm. Yes, yeah, like years ago when you, when you were tracking your fitness, it would tell you how many kilometers or, or miles you walked. Now it's doing it how many steps you walked. It's going into more detail. So with the cough monitor right now, it's saying oh you did 50 coughs a day. Suddenly it can go down and it can tell you all oh, those 50 coughs, 20 of those coughs I'm worried about because it they aren't normal coughs. Exactly, exactly. To say normal versus abnormal, but then within abnormal, why is it abnormal? Is it abnormal because it is acoustically consistent with this disease or with that disease, with this progression or outcome versus that one? Um, and, and then there's there's also just characterizing the the nature of cough. So sometimes doctors, especially this this happens with geriatrics and with with pediatrics. So a doctor has to go to this intermediary, yeah. you know, maybe you take your elderly mother to the doctor or your, or your infant son. They say, what's, what's his coughing like? Yeah. And you have to kind of now describe in human language, which is terrible for describing coughs. Oh, it's kind of dry, but, it, you know, it's a little bit horseish. It's barky. And, and, and a, a, a machine learning model can can eventually learn, one, what the human language is and, and tell you, hey, 13% of coughs are, are yeah. dry or wet. But, but also it can speak in a language outside of the confines of human vocabulary. right? It doesn't need these helper words to try to arrive to a diagnosis. Yeah, I think, help you diagnosis yeah, I'm thinking basically if a cough, say an average cough is five seconds long, if your cough is longer than that, then it knows it's serious because it can determine an average cough, how long a cough lasts. And if, if you're coughing for 20 seconds or 10 seconds, it knows that seriously. It can then tell you, rather than tell you to describe what it is, it's oh, just cough for 10 seconds long. That more or less tells you it's serious. Yeah, exactly. And, and we don't have to make those rules a priori, right? We can yeah. be somewhat agnostic to what, you know, what specific features of coughs correlate with different diseases. The models themselves will figure that out. Just like he, our, our neural models, our, our yeah. human brain models, figure out uh, what, what a male looks like and what a female looks like. It, it's not necessarily because you have those hard rules for things like, yeah. you know, nose, nose width, right? You just you just start to kind of piece together different things in a, like, a common I've got, I've got my watch, stopwatch, a heart monitor, and I've set it up so that if it goes above or below certain certain figures, it, it, it knows it's, it's something's going wrong, wrong. 
And I'm sure with cops, you, you can actually do that as well. Cough monitoring in future, be able to, to set it up so that if a cough lasts longer or is very, or certain length, it then knows something serious. Yeah, and, and that's in fact one of the concepts where we have some researchers experimenting with, right? So among, it's one thing among the healthy, it's another thing among the ill. Yeah. So, so people that are hospitalized, for example, we have one study, hospitalized COVID-19 patients. And these patients are some of the most monitored patients in the world, right? They've got blood pressure, they've got yeah. blood oxygen, they've got heart rate, they've got respiratory rate, um, they've got, you know, constant checks and, and labs. And, and, and one question is, what about their coughs? Right? How often are they coughing? Is, is coughing predictive of, of this or that? What about the acoustic nature of those coughs? I mean, well, right now we're in the data analysis phase of this study, but anecdotally, you know, one of the things that we found, which went against our intuition, was that uh, a decrease in cough rate, I thought a decrease in cough rate would correspond to a good outcome. It means yeah. you're getting better. And we found the opposite, right? Yeah. And again, this, this, is all, this is all premature where we're analyzing the data right, right now, but what we found so far is the opposite. So it looked like a decrease in cough rate correlated with bad outcomes, like needing to be intubated or yeah. going to that ICU. And the question is why? And it, it generated all these other hypotheses in our mind. Like, oh, could it be that when your body is getting weaker, when the infection is getting worse, you no longer have the, the, the will or the ability to cough? Yeah. Right? And, and so could, could it be, and if, if that were the case, then maybe the decrease in cough rate is an early warning a useful, actionable early warning for practitioners. Yeah. Maybe, maybe everything looks good. Maybe oxygenation looks good. Maybe the pulse is good. Maybe they're responding to treatment. But you see the cough rate goes down. Yeah. And maybe, and this is we're talking about a long future once this stuff has been validated and, and, and reproduced. And but maybe in the future there would be a kind of protocol where you say, hey, if cough decreases by this much, you put that person on oxygen. Yeah. Right. Preventively, even though they don't say they're getting worse. So so. We don't know what to do with cough yet because nobody's ever done anything with cough besides say, yes, no, do you have it, do you not have it? And now that we're going to have this flood of new data on cough, we're going to, we're going to be able to do a lot more with it. And, and, and just as a side note, it's not just cough, right? Sound itself, yeah. everything we've said about microphones and AI and phones and all of that is applicable to, to our voice. It's all applicable to our silence, to our breathing, yeah. uh, breathing and wheezing. Um, so there's a lot, there's a lot coming, I think, with acoustic epidemiology, and I'm super excited about the field generally. Yeah, I'm thinking as well. Also, when it comes to your voice, it can tell from your voice as well if you're healthy or not healthy. Like a coffee, it's, it knows basically how you normally speak, and then can tell. Well, I can sense a bit of weakness there, and that that then says it's something is happening. And in 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 a while, like in a couple of days or a week, it's going to get worse. Yeah, and so there's there's a this, this is not something we've worked on yet, but there's there's some research out there that suggests that Alzheimer's is predictive or predictable based on voice. Yeah, right? so the onset of Alzheimer's, you know, there's some acoustic signature in the way you're you're speaking. Um, I think that there's also, I mean, we we do classification based on voice all the time, right? So you're talking to your spouse or to your friend, you say, "Hey, man, you sound sad. You sound worried." And what do we mean by that? What we mean is the nature of your voice is different than normal. Yeah. And if, like, our human ears can hear that and learn that the difference between worried versus excited versus they sound like they're lying versus they sound like they're, you know, distracted. Then, then there's no reason a computer can't also also learn that. Yeah. And the difference, again, is that, that a computer is going to be able to do sample sizes that you and I could never do even if we lived for 10,000 years. Yeah. 
And also, when it comes to Alzheimer's, if you're asking somebody a question and they've taken too long to answer the question, or, the, or you ask them, do you remember when we, when we went skiing or went on, went on a holiday 10 years ago? And they can't remember that far back. And they're, they're spending too much time thinking this. Then you know Alzheimer's is coming because of, of the response. Yeah, exactly. And so, so that's where, where, you know, silence is a kind of sound, right? Yeah. And silence is indicative, perhaps. And, and, you know, these are things that would be very difficult to measure with a pen and paper. So I'm going to follow Ronan around. And I'm going to see how long it is between a question being asked and him beginning his answer to that question. And right? Answered. That would be super, I have a stopwatch, a piece yeah. of paper. But a computer can do that. It, it can detect different voices and it can say, okay, here's a question based on the tonality, based yeah. on that kind of thing. Hey, how's it going? Right? Yeah. Here's how long it took for Ronan to re- reply. And maybe with a large enough sample size and some, some medically validated data, we could see, oh, wow, you know, a pause of greater than this much time suggests either a cognitive degeneration or perhaps hearing problems or perhaps, you know, and, and these are the kinds of things that, that maybe our phones will be useful for in the near future rather than just kind of doom scrolling. Yeah, uh, <laughs> or maybe you can tell basically if a voice is kind of shaky, Parkinson's, or also it can maybe tell if someone's drunk or stoned. Yeah, yeah, this is it's funny that you mentioned that. The, one of the, the use cases, I can't remember who came up with this, but when we were explaining hype to somebody with coughing and sound and disease, they were like, so could you use this to detect if somebody's drunk so that they don't drive when they're drunk? and. And we thought it was, a, it was a super fascinating idea, and I suppose you could train a model, but I, I think just in terms of legal risk, yeah. the likelihood of getting sued is, goes through the roof if you start telling people, hey, you're safe to drive, go ahead, and it turns out yeah, they I think of the movie, Up and Smoke, Chief and Chong, when they're in the car in the cop with the cops, and they're coughing a lot of smoke in it, and the guy's stoned out of his head, but he's trying to act normal. If you can actually d- detect that, and the cop goes, yeah, oh, he's stoned. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I... I, I Again, the, the, the base, the kind of fundamental hypothesis of hype is that sound uh, has a ton of information in it, a ton of data in it, and we are, we are idiots to ignore it, Yeah. right? And, and so, so we're trying to pay attention to it, and we're trying to pay attention specifically to that aspect of sound where we think the potential for social good impact is greatest, and so that's cough and respiratory disease. What? Right, yeah. and when the COVID nineteen pandemic ends, unfortunately, the, the tuberculosis pandemic is still going to be around. Yeah. Right, um, so so we're really interested in that first. But but a lot of the tech is going to have this downstream or spillover effect in, into these applications you're mentioning, right? Which is, you know, maybe you detect a baby crying. You know, maybe yeah. you detect the sound of water running, and, and you realize that your your toilet's running, and you need to get it fixed. Maybe you you detect uh, anger in your voice and you work on your anger management issue by, I mean, I, there, there's a ton of things that if, if, if basically this, you turn on the microphones and you suddenly have got a, a stream or, or a river of data that you can, you can begin to generate actionable insight from. Um, but uh, yeah, our, our focus, just because otherwise we would be lost in, in all of the applications and potential, our focus right now is, is on cough and and infectious respiratory disease. Because I'm thinking 20 years ago, this technology would have been seen in a Hollywood movie because it, 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 it couldn't be done. But now it can because we've got the cloud. We've all now got smartphones. And the technology is built into us. So you can actually use that to do things you couldn't do 20 years ago. Yeah, and in fact, the tech is doing it, I mean, every day, right? When you log into Facebook or something, 
there's all sorts of machine learning algorithms that are running uh, to try to predict exactly what order of, of um, content they should show you in order to keep you engaged. And they're, they're guessing, hey, okay, based on his age and interests and this and that, I'm going to show him this picture of his old high school friend, or I'm going to show them this picture of this cool motorcycle. And, and, and those things work. And it's great, and it's really cool tech. And the, what's sad is that all of that amazing technology is being applied almost exclusively to uh, trick consumers into spending more yeah. time on platforms, and, and very little of it is being applied to, to fight the world's deadliest diseases. So meanwhile, in a clinic in rural India, they're using uh, you know vaccines to prevent tuberculosis that are 100 years yeah. old. They're using diagnostic methods that are 100 years old, right? Maybe a chest x-ray and some symptomology. And then the treatment regimens and monitoring the effectiveness of those treatment regimens. So you send somebody home for six months. And it's basically like, hey, come back if you have any problems. Yeah. And there's no remote monitoring. There's no digital monitoring. There's no predictive analytics on, on this. And, and so I, I think there's an opportunity to apply the best tech to the hardest problems and to only apply the best tech to these things that aren't really that important, like how much time you spend on Instagram, yeah. seems like a waste of a waste of really cool tech. Yeah, I can see in about 10 or, or very, very soon, there'll be a scenario where when you log onto the computer, the camera automatically uh, detects, detects you and looks at you, and it can tell you from what you are. You might say, oh, Joe or Ron is drunk this morning. Therefore, I'm not going to send him, show him these emails yet because he, he can't handle it or it's bad news. Or I might say, oh, he doesn't look well. I think I'm going to virtually call the call his doctor and book an appointment. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, it, it, you get into some 1984 scenarios, yeah. right? Especially when you start talking about restrictive or prohibitive things. And But I always think of it less in terms of prohibitions and more in terms of health. So, uh, you know, having a lot of coughs, I, I would not like if this technology would be applied to, to say, lock you at home. Yeah. But it would be great if it were applied to, say, get you to the top of the line for getting the next test. Yeah. So, so instead of testing people randomly, antigen tests, you know, based on availability, it would be great if, if we tested whoever had most likely, based on their acoustic signatures, yeah. uh, had a disease. And the same thing goes for other, you know, non-infectious disease scenarios. So, so what you just mentioned, you log into your computer and, and your face or your voice is giving off some signal of, of drugs or, or let's say depression or some other condition. Yeah. It'd be great if, if that were used to help that person, not to restrict that person from sending emails, but rather to say, Hey, Ronan, you know, would you like to get a call from a, a therapist? You know, yeah. maybe you're really unwell or, or, Hey, you know, based on this, it looks like you might have alcohol abuse. Yeah. Right? And, and you, would you like to have somebody come and visit and, and talk to you this afternoon? And you can say no, right? Like you, yeah. you keep your human autonomy. But, but maybe it's that person who what, didn't quite have the energy to pick up the phone and call their brother and say, hey, I need help. Yeah. But they, they, they do have the energy to click the button and say, yeah. look, I'm depressed. I need help. Yeah. You know? And, and so, so maybe, maybe that there's, some, there's some kind of health-seeking aids here, yeah. right? By identifying risk and then making for those people that are at risk, making it just a little bit easier to access a services they need. Well, we're lucky because technology is all around us and we're using it a lot more now that uh, the chances are of that happening is going to be greater because we're not going to worry about 1984. We're going to be glad that it's there and that we can use it properly. I, th I, I think so. I hope so. I mean, clearly we've become very comfortable with 
large corporations tracking our every movement and knowing everything about our lives. Um, I'm not, I'm not extremely comfortable with that, but if we're comfortable with that, we should certainly be comfortable with say, you know, the national health service, knowing a little bit more about, about what we're doing. I'd rather give my data to somebody who's trying to save me from an infectious disease than somebody who's trying to sell me, uh, the only problem is this technology is going to be used in different ways, like a difficult. Like if you go over, go to go to China, every five hundred meters, there is there is speed cameras, cameras checking your, your car driving. Over over in, in, in America, or the UK or the EU, there's not as many cameras. So how do we go about making sure that when it's done, it's not been abused? Yeah, I, I think that that's a huge question and a really important one, and it applies to all sorts of artificial intelligence. Yeah. Right. And, and I think there are ethical conversations and it's, it's, it's not just about, you know, what are we monitoring and what are we not monitoring? So it's not just privacy. It's also um, <clears throat> the implications of, so let's say we detect that based on your behavior, there's a 72% chance that you're going to commit a crime in the next month. Yeah. What do we preventatively put you in jail? You know, I, I think there's, there's a question here of, of how do, how do we make sure that these tech, that this kind of tech is opt in not just, you know, apply it to populations by default. Yeah, How do we make sure that individuals are protected from inaccuracy? Because all models have some degree of yeah. inaccuracy. And how do we make sure that these tech are, this technology is used by, you know, forces of social good and not authoritarian actors in order to control populations even more than they already are? And, and if we don't have those conversations and if we don't come up with very robust legal protections for for consumers, then I worry that, yeah, this this kind of tech is going to fall in the wrong hands. I mean, facial identification is, is one of these things. Yeah. It's promising to be able to know, hey, there's that person who killed somebody. Put him in jail, you know? It's hugely scary when it's applied by authoritarian states in order to, you know, do racial profiling or, or ethnic cleansing, or right? Or worse, if, if you're at a protest... You can then tell you at this protest. Yeah. I've seen that happen in the, like in, in, in the uh, in the Ukraine a place where they said you're at the protest. Therefore, we're going to arrest you because you're somebody that we think is dangerous. Yeah, exactly. And so, so what applies to uh, that which applies to images also applies to sound. Yeah. Right. And we're not as used to doing it. So, so we we become facial recognition technologies become very normalized, right? Like auto tag yeah. features on networks. We're not as used to uh, automatic sound kind of recognition, but it's going to be there. And it, 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 the technology already exists that there could be a little microphone in a bush yeah. at a protest or just on everybody's phones, right? Yeah. And Ronan chanting equal rights for workers or something like that, it would be say, hey, that, that voice belongs to Mr. Lynn. Yeah, and unless you... You know you're there. Yeah, and, and if, you that, get a, that, if you get a Faraday cage with you and your phone's in that, they can't detect you. But no one's got that. And I also think in layman's terms, when we see Skynet and when we see a HAL appearing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it's, it's, a, it's a nightmare, right? It's, yeah. a, it's a scary scenario. And it, it's not just what you do. So you can turn off your phone and wear your aluminum foil hat and yeah. you know, disconnect your, your cables. But the moment you walk outside, you are now in everybody else's visual space. So mm. there's cameras all over the place, including on phones. You're in everybody else's audio space. So you yeah. walk into a cafe and you order a croissant, and maybe that microphone picks up your voice yeah. and, and knows, therefore, that you are at that location, right? So so that's what I mean, is that there's no... It, it's not per, 
it's not sound data in particular that worries me. It's it's big data in general and machine learning and artificial intelligence in general that worries me. And I think that the opportunities are greater than the threats. So the opportunity to, to save lives and yeah. to diagnose disease and, and help humanity is great. But it's like so many other technologies, you know, you can use nuclear energy to to, you know, power cities or you can use it to blow up cities and, yeah, and so for me what's scary is if you're pursuing and going through and analyzing all this data what happens to data that's not been analyzed where is that going to go and is that going to be used for good or evil yeah and so you know at, at Hype we're trying to protect our customers and also trying to protect ourselves yeah from the temptation to be evil right and the, one of the ways we do this is, is we, we do something called peak detection yeah. so even though you know the, the microphone is listening to sound like right now I've got Hype yeah. running and it's listening to sound, it's, it's only actively detecting peaks. And the peak means a sound of length 0.5 seconds or shorter. Yeah. It's loud and explosive. And so this is what cops are. It's also if I slam the door. It's also if I, you know, clap my hands. Yeah. And it's just those little explosive sounds. And then we can use those explosive sounds to train our models, to, to count coughs, etc. But meanwhile, it's not capturing the, the details of our conversation. No monologue. What's that? No monologues. So you wouldn't, wouldn't have monologue being captured. Exactly. And, and there's a couple of reasons. One, because I think consumers are going to be more comfortable with tech that doesn't take the monologues, right? Yeah. The second is we don't really want monologues. I mean, just as a tech company, we don't want to store terabytes of, of useless data. Google and there, there's just a liability, right? So, so you know, your, your monologue is, is valuable. And, and maybe if, if we got hacked, we don't want anybody to be able yeah. to steal that. For you to feel that, you know, using our tech was was bad for you personally. In worst case scenario, we get hacked and they steal a bunch of your coughs and a bunch of your door slams. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I still feel terrible about that. And, and it could be the end of our company. Yeah, but, and it could be the case but it's far less devastating. Yeah, than, and I'll say for something like social media, for example, once they get in partnership with Hype, they might want to use data, like Google or Facebook might want to use that data to basically harvest it so they, they can sell more products to you. And... I can see you're the kind of person that would say no because ethics are involved and we're only capturing milliseconds and not seconds or minutes. Yeah, and so, so I think it's, it's, you know, tech initiatives like this need to have a very clear delineation of what their mission is yeah. and what they're trying to do. You shouldn't harvest data for the sake of harvesting data because you're exposing yourself to risk. You're certainly abusing the trust of your, of your customers yeah. or of your, your clients. In, in our case, we are harvesting coughs for the sake of quantifying and analyzing those coughs. Yeah. And, and all of the other sounds, uh, you know, a, a cough-like sound like a door slam, the only reason that door slam is interesting to us is so that we can teach our model that, hey, that's not a cough, right? Uh, but we're not, we're not doing anything else with that data because it's not part of our mission. Yeah. And, and, and that's why, I mean, it's really important for us to have a clear mission. We, we are very interested in analyzing other kinds of sounds. So, so you know, this this question of voice analysis for Alzheimer's, yeah, right, or or continuous nighttime listening for sleep apnea, yeah, right? These are these are really fascinating things. But because those are not explosive sounds, these are continuous sounds. We have to we have to come up with a different approach. Yeah, and where we're going to have to be very clear about about how that data is going to be captured, how is it's going to be used, when that data is captured. And we're not quite there yet. What we, where we do feel like we have a kind of tightly bundled, clear 
honest system is with cough capture. And yeah. so when you, you download hyphen and log in and, and consent to the different things, we try to explain in, in no-nonsense language, this is what we're doing. Yeah. Right? And when the app is, is running and it's tracking your coughs, it's saying, hey, right now we're tracking your coughs. And so maybe you're having a secret conversation with your stockbroker or your spouse or your, you know, child or whatever, and you don't even want the explosive sounds tracked. Yeah. Right? So we make it really easy to say pause tracking or turn off tracking, at which time we're not taking anything. And and part of this, again, is, you know, liability. We don't want to get sued and we don't want to get in trouble. Yeah. But, but a bigger part, honestly, is, is just trying to create an honest product, one that's not tricking people as I feel like a lot of big data initiatives are. It's not tricking people into, hey, give me your data and I'm going to do all sorts of nefarious things with it. It's trying to make people custodians of their own data and to feel that they are collaborating with initiatives that are trying to use that data to do something impactful, you know? Yeah, because it reminds me of somebody who a while ago, the, the, the husband and wife shared their, had their Fitbits and they shared their data. So it, it would tell them when somebody had burned so many calories. And the husband was, uh, was called burning more calories than normal. And the wife then knew he's having an affair. <laughs> I mean, I, I suppose the same thing could happen, right? Maybe, yeah. maybe you see that my, my wife is coughing more than normal and, and that's because she was up yeah. smoking weed with her lover or something. You know, and those are, those are the risks of, of data, but that's also the risks of the odometer on your car yeah. or, you know, the um, shoes not left in the same place they were yesterday. I mean, there, there's 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 risks that I'm okay with. You know, if, yeah. if somebody is their spouse having an affair because of their cough count, well, I'm not going to try to engineer our way out of that. That yeah. just might be, you know. Um, before I finish... Uh, where can we find Hive and what, what uh, phones is it on? Is it on Android or is it iOS or just or both? It is, so we, we have kind of a few different universes, right? Yeah. We have a free Android application. So if you look up Cough Tracker or Hive, H-Y-F-E, yeah. in the Play Store, you'll see, you'll see Hive. Uh, same with iPhone. So yeah. go to the App Store the App Store, and you'll look up Hive, Cough Tracker, and you'll see it. And you can download it for free. Yeah. And and that we can plan to continue to be free forever. Um, where we are, you know, building models for diagnostics and, and where we are doing kind of more of our scientific cutting edge work is with our research app. And there's a Hype research app. Don't download it because it won't be useful unless you're a researcher. This, this is a much more controlled approach and it, it's meant for research projects, population projects, yeah. uh, clinical projects. And, and that's where we're getting much more data. So we would know, hey, does this person, what age are they, what are their diagnostics, et cetera, et cetera. But for just cough tracking, just quantifying your cough, knowing how much you cough, which is kind of fascinating stuff, actually. You can go to the, the app store and, and download it and play with it today, you know? All right, that's great. All right, thanks, thanks for that great chat. Uh, have a great day. And hopefully, if we talk in the future, it'll be about how we finally got rid of tuberculosis and there's no more pandemics. Yeah, you know, we have eradicated a disease. We, I mean humanity, right? Yeah. Smallpox. And, and that's one of our greatest accomplishments as, as humans. And I think in our lifetimes, if we get our shit together, we could do the same for both malaria and tuberculosis. I know. So, and, and if you look at like a polio, that's more or less gone now as well. It's very close to eradication. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, yeah, I mean, these are the, the best things we can do as humans, right? Yeah. It's, it's, to protect those and save lives in places where they don't even have doctors. And the way you do that is, is eradicating disease. So Yeah. Anyway, 
Thanks, like Joe. Have a great day and uh, have a good weekend. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore Tech News, on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News, on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news, on Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE, and on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.